earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're at Session 8 in our series, Oh, That First Means That. We've been scrutinizing some well-known Bible passages we thought meant one thing, but we're discovering they actually mean something different. If you've missed any sessions or want to catch up, just go to faithtalk1360.com and search for local program podcasts. Then scroll to A Word from the Word. Friends, I hope you don't think this is becoming a broken record, because the truth is, the Bible does have a story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But sadly, oftentimes we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as every average Christian, tend to make, even force, or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly, I say, shame on us. Well, today's session eight is, what's a paraclete and why should I even care? And I promise this will be a fun and informative investigation into John 14, verses 16 and 17, and we'll tag on a few additional related passages in John, plus a statement made by Paul in Galatians chapter 1. So friends, strap on your seatbelts and be my passenger for a great ride through the scriptures. I believe today's ride is necessary because God's word is worthy of greater respect, isn't it? And isn't the Holy Spirit deserving of greater respect as the author and inspirer of God's Word, our Bible, as we read it, rather than us just cavalierly spouting off what we think a verse means? So I'll begin by reading John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever." the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now I read from the NASB, which has the word helper. This is ultimately the word will unwrap, but I'd like to read a few other verses from John, like 14.26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Next, 15.26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. And lastly, 16.7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving, for if I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, 
And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, friends, when I teach or preach, I like to ask my audience what they think is the most important word in any given passage of Scripture. In John fourteen sixteen, there's a word that's not in any of the other verses I read. That word is another. Let me refresh our memories. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And this then helper is called the Spirit of Truth. Then I would tell my audience that this word another is an incredibly important and key word choice for John. And why, friends, we need to once again slip on first century sandals and learn the cultural and linguistic backstory so we can properly understand and interpret these words of John as they relate to the Holy Spirit. So let our fingers do the walking and take us to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. At first, it may seem like this text is unrelated to John's texts, but we'll see that it really is and how it's enlightening us. In verses 1 through 5, Paul gives an intro and greeting to the Galatian believers. Then in verses 6 through 8, he says, I am surprised at you. In no time at all you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are accepting another gospel. Actually, there is no other gospel, but I say this because there are some people who are upsetting you and trying to change the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is different from the one we preached to you, may he be condemned to hell. Then in verse 9, he repeats this condemnation. Now, friends, I bring this Galatians passage up because we'll import the results of our findings into John's passages in chapters 14 through 16, which will be very illuminating. Well, the word another here in Galatians is an interesting word. In fact, the Greek language here has two words for another. One means another of a different kind, and the other means another of the same kind. So let's read verses 6 and 7 with the meanings strategically inserted to help us get a clearer picture. I am surprised at you. In no time at all you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are accepting another kind of gospel. Actually, there is really not another gospel, but I say this because there are some people who are upsetting you and trying to change the gospel of Christ. Now, for this word change, some translations say distort. This is another interesting word whose range of meaning is to corrupt, pervert, change, or turn one thing into another. And friends, notice how Paul continues to describe this so-called another gospel in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than or contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse or anathema. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than or contrary to what you accepted, let them be under God's curse or anathema. Let me just add here that the phrase other than or contrary to may also be rendered different from. The original word here is rich and revealing. It literally means existing side by side, and alongside is an optional meaning. 
In other words, Paul was making it explicitly clear that there is no other gospel that can coexist with the one he had been preaching. There is no other optional gospel, so there isn't another gospel. So, friends, why is all this biblical gobbledygook important or significant? It's significant because of the meanings behind the two different words in the Greek language for another. In Galatians 1.6, the word another is the word another of a different kind, whereas Galatians 1.7 uses the other word, meaning another of the same kind. So now let's hear Paul's words with these meanings inserted to help us see what he's trying to tell the Galatians. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another kind of gospel, which is really not the same kind of gospel that we've been preaching to you, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the real or true gospel of Christ. And recall, friends, that distort has the added meanings of corrupt, pervert, even turning one thing into another. So, friends, I propose that Paul's greatest fear was the Galatian Gentile converts turning the true gospel into another gospel, a false one. In fact, his concern was so great that he pronounces a curse on anyone, angel or human, who distorts, perverts, or changes the true gospel into a bogus gospel, with the strongest term available at the time, anathema, a Greek word influenced by its Latin counterpart, meaning accursed, devoted to evil. The practical outworking was excommunication. Well, friends, we're now ready to import our findings and meanings into John fourteen sixteen. I'll bet you thought I forgot this verse. Well, I didn't. So now listen to John fourteen sixteen and 17 with the meanings we discovered behind our word another. Remember, this is Jesus talking. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. In other words, another helper of the same kind so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. Notice, friends, that John identifies this helper with the spirit of truth in verse 17. In verse 25, the helper is identified with the Holy Spirit. In 1526, the helper is again identified with the spirit of truth. And in 16, 7 through 11, the helper's role is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, friends, recall I was reading from the NASB, which along with the New King James Version, the ESV, the ISV, and the Amplified, have the word helper. Here are some more names that other respected translations use. Advocate, the NRSV, the NET, the NLT, and the NIV. Comforter, the King James. Comforting Counselor, the CJB. Counselor, the RSV. Friend, the message. And finally, the Amplified with helper in the text, and then Amplified with comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, and standby. Friends, what are we to make of all these definitions? Have the translation committees for these various Bible translations become spiritual schizophrenics? Can't they just decide on the most appropriate word to use here and leave it at that? Well, this brings us back to our session title. What's a paraclete and why should I even care? 
because the Greek word John uses here is the word paraclete. A really cool word, friends, and although it sounds quirky, it has a rich history and meanings for the first century Greco-Roman world and audience. There's really no parallel to this person in our modern world, so it requires us to invest a little time and effort to scope it out. Because when we do... It expands our spiritual horizon on the rich and full-orbed ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see why John chose to use it in his gospel. And since there's no modern-day parallel to this paraclete, and yet the New Testament world's use of it is so rich and chock-full of meaning, it became necessary to employ all these words to describe this person, advisor, advocate, aider, assistant, comforter, consoler, Counselor, counselor at law, counselor for the defense, defender, friend, helper, intercessor, legal assistant, mediator, pleader, protector, strengthener, succorer, an older generation word that meant supporting someone in times of hardship or distress. And finally, standby. Friends, I hope we're beginning to see the benefit and significance of undergirding our Bible study with a Berean spirit, not only searching the scriptures to see if things are so, but searching with the intent to discover both the cultural and religious context that we are so far removed from when it comes to our Old and New Testaments. So let's first unravel the cultural context. In the first century Greco-Roman world, our keyword paraclete originally had both a judicial or legal setting and a non-judicial or non-legal setting. In the context of the judicial or legal setting, it would refer to a person who gives evidence that would stand up in a court of law. Additionally, it could mean a person who makes the right judgment call because he or she is close enough to the situation at hand. In other words, someone being accused of an offense. It could also mean a person who pleads another's cause before a judge. Now, this term has such a broad range of use that the person who filled these shoes could be an actual lawyer, and therefore the words counselor, counselor for the defense, or counselor at law, and just an FYI, not the kind of counselor that we might think, a consoler or advisor. But the beauty is that this paraclete need not be an official lawyer or legal advisor. Any person or friend of the accused was permitted to step in and testify on behalf of the accused. And so any friend who would take action to give help or aid during a time of legal need would be called a parakletos. Is this starting to get cool or what? And furthermore, friends, the literal technical meaning of paraclete was simple. One summoned or called to another's side to render aid, or one called alongside to help or give assistance. Second, let's unravel the religious context. And by that, I mean the biblical spiritual context. It helps to reinforce here the idea that the gospel was not birthed in a vacuum. Friends, the Bible writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, found terms and concepts already familiar to their first century audience and elevated these ideas and infused them with a gospel-related message. I've said often that these terms and concepts embedded in the Bible world became the cultural toolbox of the Bible writers. In other words, they lifted these terms and concepts out of their cultural toolbox and attached to them a more glorious and gospel-related message. 
And I also believe, friends, that in doing this, they built a bridge to their mainstream society. And with reference to Paraclete, only John uses it. Now, for all of our benefit, I'd like to offer a word picture here of this term parakletos. So I'll ask you to form a mental picture in your mind as I share this information. For starters, imagine making a chart with the word parakletos at the top. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-O-S. Then we'll make two columns, one on the left and one on the right. On the left column, the heading is Legal or Judicial Terminology. And on the right column, the heading is non-legal terminology. So under the left column, legal or judicial terminology, we'll have this list of descriptive words. We'll list them in alphabetical order. Advisor, advocate, counselor, meaning counselor for the defense or at law, defender, intercessor, mediator, pleader, and protector. And now under the right column, non-legal terminology, we'll have this list of descriptive words. A much longer list, but also in alphabetical order. Advisor, non-legal. Aider, one who renders aid. Assistant, one who assists. Comforter, as the King James says. And here, friends, we have to put on shoes from the 1600s. The scholars who created the 1611 King James translation would be influenced by the Latin parallel term comfortis or confortare. This term primarily meant strengthen or strengthener, rather than what it means for us today to give comfort or solace in grief. Here the idea of consoling would be more in line with the idea of comforting someone in grief. The Latin derivation of console is consolare, meaning to soothe, as in easing or alleviating pain, and thereby bringing comfort. So, friends, when we read the King James in John fourteen sixteen, with the words, I will give you another comforter, we must be careful not to read into that word a 21st century meaning. The 16th century audience would understand comforter to mean strengthener. So then the Holy Spirit is one who brings power, making us strong. Well, let's continue our non-legal list on the right column. We left off at comforter, so let's add consoler. Counselor, non-legal. Defender, non-legal. Friend, and let's not over-criticize a paraphrase that says this. Helper, protector, non-legal. Strengthener, Succorer, we already elaborated on this. And finally, standby. Phew, that's some list, isn't it? Do you see now that challenge before translators of our English Bible? Which word should they pick to best describe this somewhat puzzling paraclete? How might the particular context guide us into making a good and right choice? Well, friends, I'm happy to tell you that John was quite aware of these multifaceted understandings of this amazing person, this amazing paraclete, but I'll get to that in a few minutes, because I want to finish the biblical spiritual context, since John uses this term paraclete in his first letter, the letter of 1 John, and curiously, he applies it to Jesus. In 1 John 2, 1, we read, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And interestingly enough, 
Here, John intentionally emphasizes the more legal lingo to describe the role of Jesus. Most English translations, when referring to Jesus, translate 1 John 2.1 as advocate. Some meanings of advocate are pleader in a court of law, a lawyer, barrister, attorney, and legal practitioner. So I believe that here John's focus is on just or justice. The New Testament word implies legal or judicial innocence. In other words, approval before a judge, in our case, God. Jesus is approved by God because he's not broken God's law. Therefore, Jesus has the legal standing to be our advocate before the Father. Friends, in the Bible, the term righteousness carries three understandings. One, being in right standing with God, in other words, being justified. And in this sense, one who possesses judicial innocence or approval before God. Two, being righteous or godly in our ethical behavior. We see this in the Timothy letters and Titus, what we are to pursue. Three, being equated with justice. In other words, living justly and seeking justice for others. Being someone who defends and protects the law, especially for those who can't defend themselves. We see this in Psalm 82 and Proverbs 31. So friends, I hinted earlier that John was keenly aware of his own cultural and societal meanings and usages of the term parakletos. And he ensured that we interpret him correctly in each occurrence in his gospel by adding what the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, does in those instances. So I'll recommend this. Go back and reread the texts in John 14, 15, and 16, and take note of just what the Holy Spirit does or is doing there. John specifies the particular usages of this term and does not leave his audience to guess his meaning based on the typical applications of his day. Additionally, John infuses his definitions with a spiritual dimension, making a spiritual connection and elevating this term to a connect to the gospel message and to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jesus' followers. Not only then, but for us now to learn of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Well, friends, I believe a fitting conclusion to our session today would be to use today's session title, What's a Paraclete and Why Should I Even Care? The first thing I want us to see is that this paraclete is not a what. The paraclete is a who. The paraclete is a person. The fact that Jesus is sending another like himself clearly indicates the Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. Just as Jesus was a person and Jesus was God, this further proves that the Holy Spirit is not a thing or a force, but the Holy Spirit is a personality. He can be resisted, Acts 7.51, quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and grieved, Ephesians 4.30 and Isaiah 63.10. Second, just as the disciples of Jesus related to him, we can now relate to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We can even learn about our relationship with and to the Holy Spirit by examining the disciples' relationship with and to Jesus. Third, just as Jesus' disciples asked him questions, fellowship with him, looked to him for advice and guidance, so too we can now look to the Holy Spirit who is within us. We haven't lost out because Jesus departed. Rather, we've gained something, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us no matter where we are. 
Fourth, through learning the multifaceted terms and meanings behind them, we can expand our understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry, not only to the unbelieving world, but to our lives, and in so doing, realize how much he wants to do in, for, and through us. And fifth, and finally, we can realize that God has made available to us the greatest helper there is. What a shame if we go through life without drawing on his help, strength, and power. We do not need more of God, friends. God needs more of us. We have all the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have all of us? Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback. Two listeners recently wrote in regarding part six in the series. A new listener shared a word from the word. Very catchy. I love it. Your insight digging into the scriptures is enlightening and insightful. Thank you for sharing. I really enjoyed it. And a long-time faithful listener also responded to part six with, I think most of us are guilty of reading the scriptures without really knowing the context of what was being said, to whom the author was speaking, and what was going on at the time. You did a great job, and I love the tie-in with King's speech. Keep up the great work. And remember, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. And please keep in mind that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. We have not been immune from the challenging financial and economic times we're in, so please consider financially helping to keep A Word from the Word on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.